Now, last time we discussed the Jewish trial before Annas, and we read from Matthew 26 the continuation of that in the court of Caiaphas, who was the official high priest. The high priest essentially is the leader of the nation. He is also the president of the Sanhedrin, which is the council that ruled the nation. Caiaphas replaced Annas, his father-in-law, as the Roman-appointed high priest. The passage before us in John does not deal with the trial of Caiaphas. It goes on to deal with the trial that is before Pilate, the Roman governor. Now he is a governor of what uh, one called a restive state. Restive, not resting. Anything but resting. Resting means unable to keep still or silent, becoming increasingly difficult to control, especially because of impatience, dissatisfaction, boredom, or just because things are not right in the land just as things are not right in our country. And hopefully there are not those who would take matters into their own hands as the Jews were known to do. Pontius Pilate was appointed governor of Judea in AD 26 and served for 11 years approximately. Judea was not a popular outpost to be assigned to because the Jews were very restive. One time he brought a Roman banner or flag or insignia with the emperor's image on it, which of course to them is, is God. What a sacrilege this was to the Jews, profaning the sacred things of God this way and egging them on, as it were. They had a sit-down strike for five days around his compound around his house. Pilate called the troops so that the heads would roll, threaten them with death. And the Jews just turned right around and offered their necks to those troops, to which Pilate backs off. And he removes the standards, the insignias and, and the like. They were no more to be seen. Another time, he took what are called votive shields. Votive means that they are offered to other gods. They were a god of polytheism. They were a society that is Rome of polytheism, as you know. And so, these were shields to exalt their emperor. And they put it in all, in, of all places in the holy place, that is, inside the very center of the temple, where only the high priest was allowed to come once a year to offer up sacrifice. Another sacrilege. And, well, it was protested by the sons of Herod, who was the king at that time, appointed king by the Romans, who protested to the emperor and told Pilate to respect the Jews religious freedom by taking the shields down from the holy place 
So there was mediation, and that prevented who knows what. That was a third, that was a second sacrilege. A third one was when Pilate took treasure from the temple. He took the, the gold and silver that was in the temple in order to build an aqueduct, probably to justify it that it was to benefit as well them, Judea. And this set off another protest. These Jews were like Americans, you know, they, they, they knew their rights and they stood for them. But this time, Pilate sent his troops in there and clubbed many people to death. The other, the other Gospels, other than John, tell nothing except in one place about this Pontius Pilate. And it's in Luke 13, 1, where it says, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So it's possible that this incident happened because of this protest on the part of the Jews against Pilate for taking their money, God's money, and using it to build something for them. And so this background helps us to understand why Pilate was the way he was when he faced Christ, how he was changeable, how he could go back and forth, how he could at one time stand firmly on, 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 on Christ's uh, being innocent, and then to ride around and change it at the, well, at the crowd's behest who were demanding his execution. And he'd be afraid, of course, that if word were to get back to the main headquarters back in Rome, that uh, that would be the end of his career. Christ was brought as a lamb to the slaughter in John 18, 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. And it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. The judgment hall is also called the Praetorium. It is the headquarters of Rome, of its uh, military post in a particular city, such as in Jerusalem, in this case. Pilate would live normally in Caesarea, which is not far away. But then if there is a large event, such as a feast day, which there would be on their various feast days, and people would come from all over, pilgrims to gather there to commemorate that feast day in Jerusalem, he would transfer over to Jerusalem. And uh, that in order to quell any potential trouble, riots, for example. And it was very early in the morning. They start their morning at around 6 a.m. Now, according to the Jews, if they were, during this time, which was a festive holiday, in this case the Passover, if they were to be in the home or in a place where the Gentiles were only, 
they will be counted as ceremonially unclean. And you needed to stay clean, as it were, for the entire seven days of the Passover. They were so meticulous about detail to the law, detail to their traditions. And yet, when you consider what they were about to do to murder the Son of God, what a hypocrisy. And this was their plan even from early on as we see, for example, in John 11, 47, earlier on. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. They felt threatened by Christ. Well, they were threatened by Rome. And they were afraid that if Rome became threatened by Christ, also it would be over. And especially as Jesus has this ability to gather people together to unite the nation. In 49, there's one named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, and said to them, You know nothing at all nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. It was as if he was a prophet at this point speaking of the death of Christ. But actually he could have been speaking also of himself being used as a scapegoat in behalf of, uh, of the nation, saving the nation from perishing, the whole nation, that the whole nation perish not. But from that, day, from that time forward, according to verse 40, 53, they took counsel to put to death Pablo. And so this was already in their minds to do. This was already in their plans, and now they were carrying it out. What is ironic is that Caiaphas, naturally, being the high priest of the nation, would be like the president of the United States, representative of the Jews, would think that he would be the one sacrificed. And yet high priests were never known to be sacrifices. Human sacrifices were not heard of. They sacrificed lambs, the high priest that is. Our Lord is our great high priest, even as we read in next week's memory verse. He would sacrifice himself. He would be the high priest who would offer up the perfect sacrifice of himself. It says in the Bible, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. It goes on to say in the book of Hebrews, for such a high priest became us, meaning God became man in order to fill this office of high priest 
and thus fulfill all righteousness, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needs not daily, as those human high priests before him, to offer up sacrifice, first for their own sins, and then for the people's, well, because he had them. He was the sinless son of God. And also, because he only needed to offer up one sacrifice, and that was the one he would offer up on Calvary's cross when he offered up himself. The Jews had a serious problem. It was a heart problem. When it came to their traditions and their ceremonies. And that's one of the, the, the temptations of going in that direction towards the pomp and circumstance of religion, as it were. It came up previously in Mark 7, 5, and 6. And it had to do with another kind of washing, and that was the washing of hands or another kind of ceremonial cleanliness. Mark 7, 5, and 6. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? That didn't mean that they were unsanitary, that they didn't wash their hands before they ate for the purpose of eating, but that they did not perform this additional ceremonial cleansing if, if, if he is who he is, if he is like them, a master of Israel. He answered and said to them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He would go on to say later to them, to their faces, in uncertain terms, even so you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within, inwardly, you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You know, he can do that. He can speak that way and be right on. Because as the word of God he is a searcher of men's hearts. As a son of God, he knows all things. And all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He goes on to say that uh, passage that I'm quoting to you from Matthew 23. And this is toward the end of his life, as he was addressing now the church then, right on forward. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets, meaning his apostles, and wise men, and scribes. And some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues, and persecute them from city to city. You're going to do that. And not only his prophets and wise men and scribes, but he himself Soon you will kill and crucify your Lord, your Yahweh, your Jehovah, your God. 
getting back to our story of the world's court in John 18, verse 29. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? The Jews, as I said, could not enter into the judgment hall. So he had to go out to them. What are the charges that you're bringing against Christ? They answered and said to him, If he was not a malefactor, we would have delivered him. We would not have delivered him up unto thee. Jesus is a malefactor, meaning an evildoer. So what else would we be bringing him here for? What other reason could there be for us to be here to charge these accusations against this man? And verse 31, Then said Pilate unto them, Take you him, and judge him according to your law, in the law of your scriptures. Obviously, Pilate didn't want anything to do with their own internal affairs. The Jews therefore said, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Aha! Pilate now understands their plan. Their plan is so that Christ would be put to death, not judged, not adjudicated as to his guilt or innocence, but they've already passed judgment and now their plan is perfectly clear. But technically the Jews, again, did not have any longer that ability to adjudicate capital crimes. That was taken from them when Rome, take over, when Rome took over their land. Now while man proposes God disposes. Let's not forget that God has a plan too. It says in verse 32, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. How, how should he die? What did he say as to how he would die? He said he would die being lifted up from the earth. He said that even as early on as in John 3, 14 through 16. John 3, 14 through 16. Many of you may not be aware that there is an Old Testament background to John 3, 16. But Somehow John 3.16 stands all alone by itself, but it doesn't. Because the background is in the Old Testament. And of all things that it brings up in the history of redemption, it brings up when Moses on this one occasion lifts up this brass serpent high that God commanded him to make. When the people were crying out for deliverance because of the snakes that were killing them off by the thousands. And so he builds this, he constructs or has constructed this brass serpent that was like those snakes that were punishing the people. And he said, he was told by God, lift them up, lift it up, and let the people look on it and they'll be saved. 
And so it reads in John 3, 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Meaning, physically raised. So Christ, likewise, must be physically raised up, which he was on the cross. Straddled, as it were, for the world to see. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So it was God the Father's plan all along that his Son would die for the sins of others, for his people. And it would be by crucifixion. The means of execution could have been another. It could have been stoning. Like one time when he told the Jews back in John 8, in no uncertain terms, that before Abraham was, I am. And they said, you're not even 50 years old and you say you've seen Abraham or that Abraham has seen you. And it was at that point that they took up stones to cast it. And what were they doing? They wanted to execute him on the spot. And that was the way they did it. Because he was committing in their eyes, in their minds, the sin of blasphemy against God. And though the Roman law actually forbids them to take justice in their own hands in this manner, at one time they did get away with it, if you recall, when they stoned Stephen, the first martyr of the new church, according to Acts 7. This was the plan of God, that our Lord, the Son of God, would die on the cross. Even as Peter made plain at Pentecost in his preaching, that brought thousands of people into the kingdom of God at an instant, as it were, in Acts 2.23. Turn to it, Acts 2.23. Open your Bibles. See for yourself that this is not the will of God, that Christ should die on the cross. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken, and my wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should behold me of it. So here it is in black and white, that this was God's determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It is not just the council of men. It's not just the Sanhedrin. It's not just the council of Pontius Pilate and his cohorts. It was the council of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from eternity past, that this should take place, that Christ our Lord would die by crucifixion. And actually, the Jews would have settled for crucifixion anyway because the scriptures taught this in Deuteronomy 21, and I'm going to read this to you for good measure. Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, for he that is hanged is a curse of God. 
As Paul would say in Galatians, cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree, meaning Christ, our Lord, who has made sin for us. So crucifixion, it would be. Lastly, interrogating the king of kings. 33, verse 33, that is, of John 18. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Ah, Jesus' accusers did give Pilate a hint, as it were, or evidence, actually, for their accusation political insurrection, or at least the possibility of that. So it wasn't just religious. It wasn't just for them to sort it on their own themselves, that is the Jews. It wasn't just theological. It was political. He's calling himself a king. Which of you Romans out there, and you particularly Pontius Pilate, would dare to put up with that? Are you the king of the Jews? Are you speaking for yourself or did someone testify to you about me? Jesus knew the law and what he's actually alluding to is the necessity for witnesses. There needs to be witnesses. Are you asking for witnesses? Your entire nation and its leaders are your witness against you. In my court, am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. So tell me, what did you do? Let me hear your side of it. And then I'll be the judge of it. And you. Verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered unto the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And that's because Christ's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It is a kingdom that is made and grown not on the basis of force and violence as the kingdoms of this world. It is built by God's grace and by his love and by the power of the Holy Spirit overcoming sin in the lives of his people. And while it is relegated to the spiritual nature of his sphere, all power is given unto him in heaven and earth so that this kingdom ultimately will be the overriding kingdom over all the kingdoms of this world. And ultimately he will conquer the evil world system in the second coming. As I said in Revelation, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. Back at John 18 and verse 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? So tell me yourself, are you a king? 
or not. And our Lord says basically in verse 37, you said it yourself. But there's something else I want to tell you. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Of all things, of all things, our Lord, in his crucial hour, when he, his destiny, his life, everything hung on the line, as he sat in this world court before Pontius Pilate stood, was witnessing the Pontius Pilate. He was more concerned, as it were, about his soul than even his own. This isn't this like our world. What is truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And yet Pilate, what does he say in verse 38? What is truth? Have you ever heard people say that to you? What is truth? In other words, I don't believe that there's one truth. Like a little while ago, about eight years ago, Joel Osteen and his wife were being interviewed by Oprah Winfrey on her program. And they all came to the same conclusion, believe it or not. The unbeliever, as it were, I'm just going to say that she is, well, the uh, skeptic and the pastor, came to the same conclusion. There are many roads to God. Truth is what you want it to be. Truth is what you believe it to be. And that's because man is the center of the universe, you see. And not God. Human reasoning becomes the basis for our determining truth, and not the word of God. Even when two truths, or many truths, are juxtaposed to each other, are polar opposites, like, like today. Like what's happening today. In other words, there is no absolute standard for everybody. You have yours, and I have mine. This, you can take it or leave it. It's up to you. It's a free country, right? So Jesus, thank you, but no thanks. What is the conclusion of the whole matter as far as where we are in Christ hearings, in his court trials, which are now getting close to the conclusion? Well, Pilate goes outside of the Praetorium and tells everybody there, everybody that was waiting for his decision, 
everybody that was waiting for his adjudication. And that would be final. This would be a judgment of the court that is the judge. And what did he say? I find in him no fault at all. He evaluated the charges. He interrogated the accused. He took all that information based on the evidence submitted about the accused. And now he himself as a witness is in his own behalf. And you know what they say about your being your own witness and how that could compromise your case. But he did it. And on this basis, Pilate says, Jesus is innocent. End of discussion. Think about this. Through the lips of this unconverted man, Pontius Pilate, the world, through this world court's final decision, acknowledged the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. That the one who stood before Pilate was none other than the sinless Son of God. And the truth of the matter is, we for whom he died on the cross are the guilty ones. Yet we will never be in another court, which is the court of God in heaven. And we will never have to face what our Lord faced in this court on earth before Almighty God, the judge not only of all the earth, as he's called in the Old Testament, but the judge of the universe. Christ has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, quickened by the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but who walk according to the Spirit. So be encouraged by what our Lord went through. Think of all that must have pressed upon him in every sense of the word, from every angle, what he would go through mentally and physically, because as you know, he was just coming from another hearing, actually two other hearings. And in that second hearing, he went through all of the physical brutality that could be performed upon someone who was supposedly guilty in his body. It was assumed that he would carry a spiritual burden that would increase exponentially when he would go to the cross. That is, is carrying the sins of the world, as it were, on behalf of those who have died. So with that, let us close with a word of prayer. Father, we are thankful to rehearse this part of the old, old story of Jesus and his love for his people. And each time, O oh Lord, it seems that we glean some further insight that deepens our appreciation and, Lord, also strengthens our faith in knowing that we were not wrong in having come to you and having made you our own. 
we thank you, O Lord, for all that you went through. And we, Lord, hopefully go away with an appreciation of you as our substitute, as the one who stood in our place and who continues to stand in our behalf before our holy God and Heavenly Father, and through whom we are assured that our prayers are received and are purged by your most precious blood and heard in the ears of our Heavenly Father. So thank you, O Lord, for what we have learned. And may it also whet our appetite to study the scriptures more, to get to know you, Lord Jesus, who are meek and lowly in heart. And you said that we will find rest unto our souls. For our yoke is easy and our burden is light. Indeed, Lord, compared to your own faults. In your name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.